So Galatians 1, verses 3 to 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, we pray this morning that by your power you would bless the hearing of your gospel in each one of our lives. We pray that you would lead us this morning to see Jesus as he really is, the way, the truth and the life, and that you would hold us so that our whole being, our confidence, our trust and even our boast would be in Jesus. To your praise and to your glory, Father. Amen. It's a picture of a garden, obviously, Captain Obvious. Uh, and as I was thinking about what, uh, what uh, I was going to say this morning, I was looking at gardens. And I looked at this and I really only put it up because I was just so taken by what God creates, the beauty and the vibrancy and the colour and just how wonderful God is as, as our creator. He just creates absolutely beautiful things, very, very beautiful things. And it reminded me of being a kid and uh, at my house where I grew up in Victoria, when I was growing up, I didn't like working with mum and dad in the garden. And I, I won't say because they'll probably listen to a podcast of this, their garden wasn't quite like that. Uh, but, you know, they did the best they can and it was pretty nice. But they would ask me regularly to actually go out and to do yard work. So they would ask and I would complain and then they would ask louder and I would sigh and then they would command and I would go, right? I'd go outside and help. The funny thing is, as a, as, a, as a kid, once you get out there and you actually, you start to have a good time. It's actually quite, quite good. It was so good, in fact, that I decided to clear out the garden bed under my bedroom window and plant a crop of carrots. And uh, that was my first kind of experience. And I planted those carrots and, and I loved them and I would go out every day and look on their progress. And uh, way before they were fully grown, completely impatient, I ripped them all out of the garden and I ate them, uh, dirt and all. And uh, mum would actually testify, I think, that I had similar tendencies uh, in their garden uh, when I was helping her with the garden beds. Maybe that's a bit of an uglier picture, isn't it, there on the left? You know, when you're pulling out weeds, you've got to get the root that's what they taught me. That's what my parents taught me. If you just pull the grassy stuff off the top, especially in cans, how quickly is it back? In a few hours, it seems like it's 10 feet in the air again. So you have to get it out at the root and you don't want to just break it off at the surface. Well, this is frustrating me uh, working in mum and dad's garden and maybe you can see where this is going with the picture on the right because I found these weeds that came out really, really easily. They were so great. And, you know, when, when you ripped out these weeds, they had these kind of, they came out so cleanly and you knew you had the root because they had this big round bulb on the bottom. And that big round bulb gave it some momentum as you tossed it over your shoulder into the weed pile. And I can still hear, <laughs> that's probably when I was like 12 or 13 years old, I can still, still hear my mum's voice, Vaughan, no, not my orchids, not the orchids, they're Nana's orchids. And that's how I came to mow the grass on a weekly basis. The Apostle Paul, he wasn't called, to, called by God to plant carrots. He wasn't called to plant orchids. 
What was Paul called to plant? Churches. He was called to plant churches. And to get our heads around the spiritual heat, because this, this letter to the, uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians is like dynamite. It is like dynamite. It is white hot. Um, and he's writing to the churches in Galatia that, you know, and we understand that he's speaking to people that he really loves, people he'd nurtured, people he'd cared for, people he'd taught uh, as he uh, spoke to them and brought to them the good news of Jesus. Paul had planted seeds. He'd planted seeds, though, not to grow flowers, but the seed of God's powerful word. And we're reminded of Acts, uh, where, where he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And that's what had happened in Galatia, because Paul had planted seeds and they'd been watered, but the Lord had blessed and grown and flourished these uh, seeds of the word into these living churches. And when we say living churches, we're not talking about buildings, but gatherings of people who, by the Spirit, who had received this good news and had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you know he was a zealous guy, a really zealous bloke. He was really passionate. Before he came to believe in Jesus, what did he do? He threw everything he was, he threw all his resources into persecuting the church as a Pharisee. And we know the sadness he felt about that past. He really deeply felt it, but he also felt how powerful the love and the forgiveness given to him in Christ, how powerful that was in Paul's life. It was huge for him. That was his boast. He boasted in Jesus Christ. He boasted in this grace in which he stood. And so I imagine, and I don't know this for certain, but I imagine that Paul, now that he grasped the gospel of Jesus Christ in his heart, that he loved these new Christians with a holy and intense love like he'd gone after the church in his previous way of life with such zeal, uh, in such a zealous way with such power with such ambition i imagine that god turned that around so that the love and care and nurture that he came at these people with was just so great imagine imagine paul's horror when he learns that intruders have come into the region of Galatia and that these intruders are mixing with the brothers and sisters and these intruders are working to dig up, to rip out the gospel, the good news, which has been carefully planted and watered and is now growing in the hearts of these new Christians. You think of how awful it is when you think if someone's actually been in your house without your permission, broken in. Now, this has got to do with people's hearts and lives. It's like you, f you feel violated when someone goes through your stuff, but when someone's actually come and is trying to rip out the gospel, that, that joy in people's hearts, Paul is horrified. And these intruders, they're working kind of like pouring roundup over all the budding gospel growth that's happening in Galatia. It's not that they don't believe in Jesus, these intruders. They're not just Jews. They actually do, they, they acknowledge Jesus Christ. They just think there's more needed to be saved than Jesus Christ alone. And so they work to discredit Paul's message by trying to discredit his call as an apostle. But if you think about that, really, as they attack the one who, uh, uh, who received his call as an apostle directly from Jesus on the road to Damascus, as they attack Paul, who are they really attacking? They're attacking the one who called Paul as an apostle. Jesus says, the one who hears you, hears me. 
Just as the one who rejects you rejects me, and if they reject me, they reject the one who sent me, the Father. So it's an attack on the gospel, which is an attack on Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, who's been speaking and growing the church through Paul's voice. Now, how do the intruders attack Jesus while trying to appear all Christian? How would you do that? How would you attack the church from within by trying to actually look like a Christian? Well, you teach that Jesus' work on the cross is okay, it's even great, but God expects you to pitch in. God expects you to do something. God expects you to contribute to the whole shebang, the whole work of salvation. And so for these intruders, it was Jesus plus circumcision. That's the way to salvation to salvation. Jesus plus circumcision. Oh, hang on a minute, guys. It's Jesus plus circumcision plus following all the uh, clean uh, food laws, ceremonial food laws. Then, then you'll be saved. Oh, just one more thing. It's Jesus plus circumcision plus all the food laws uh, and just, just follow and keep all the laws of Moses. Then, then you'll be saved. Those people would be thinking, wow, What happened to my grace and my peace? It's all gone. It's all gone. What happened to being delivered from the present evil age? It's finished. I mean, honestly, look at what's happening. This is what the intruders are teaching. As as you add more and more things above and beyond Jesus as the way to salvation and life with God, Jesus' part gets smaller and smaller and smaller while the list of stuff on you gets bigger and bigger and bigger upon your shoulders. And we hear a similar message today when we, when we look at God the Father and we think, you know, he's a bit angry with us, but I'll make him happy. I'll make him happy this week because I'm going to go to church and then maybe I'll try and go to church more often and have more regular worship. That, that'll make God happy and I'll, I'll bring the kids for baptism because if we go to worship and we get the kids baptised, then, then God will be happy. And, and then on top of that, we'll try and really do the right thing so that God's on side or he's going to get angry at me. And then there's the Jesus loves you from somewhere in heaven, false gospel. He's up there somewhere, but it's on you. You believe in yourself. You have faith in your own abilities. You know, I heard that being preached this week to kids. Have faith in yourself. Believe in yourself. That's the don't give up false gospel. And it still loads you down with the law. It's subtle and it appeals to our flesh because it makes much of you. The focus is on you. You get to claim glory for yourself. And that's appealing to us. It's appealing to a sinful heart. Instead of the fact that it was on the cross that Jesus never gave up for you. He never gave up for you. He never looked back. He willingly endured the wrath of God against all sin while you were still enemies with God. He died your death, which we can see uh, pictured really clear for us again today. The empty cross is gone. The crucifix is back. Stare at that. Allow yourself to be confronted with that, but also comforted by that. He died your death which we see pictured, but the power of God that raised Jesus is the same power that will raise you to life. To the glory of who? To the glory of you? No, to the glory of God the Father. False gospels, friends, make much of you. 
They make much of you. They're designed to make you feel good about yourself. But the real gospel, the the truth will always make much of Jesus. That's the difference. It will always make much of Jesus. But the more you listen to false teaching, the more you listen to false gospels and believe it, the duller and duller you will become until eventually you end up either one of two ways as I see it, either a slave to despair and burnt out because you you don't know God's rest by grace or you end up in slavery to a Pharisaic kind of spirit thinking that in the end it's what you've done for God or for other people that will please God and get you over the line somehow because you're a good person. You know, I stand before you today and I testify that that's where God found me at the age of 25 years old. That's where I was. I'm not proud of that, but that's where I was. A young Pharisee, a young guy who was spiritually dull. As I shared with the Finnish people last Sunday, as I went further and further in the printing industry, it seemed to me like I was getting smarter and smarter and advancing and advancing, but spiritually I was getting more, stu- more and more stupid every day. Spiritually, I was so dull because I wasn't listening to God anymore and I hadn't for 11 years. And I became very spiritually dull. I was burnt out looking, th- looking for comfort in lies, in false gospels, And I wasn't living as a son of the Father, but as a slave to sin. That's where God found me. That's where I was. And if anyone had come to me and said, oh, Vaughan, just believe in yourself, I don't even know if I'd be here. I was that out. There's a lot at stake for us as we listen to Jesus' plea to the churches at Galatia through Paul. There's a lot at stake. The gospel is at stake. It's the difference between resting as a child of God in his grace and a life of slavery with a rod across your back constantly. And that's why Paul is so astonished because the Galatians are exchanging the truth for a false gospel, which is no gospel at all. That's why he's so emotional in this letter. That's why it's so white hot. That's why it's packed with dynamite. It kind of explodes If you add anything to Jesus, to his death for you on the cross, his resurrection, his perfect obedience, which is credited to you by grace alone, if you add to this your good works, if you add to this your best intentions, if you add to this your worship, attendance or anything else, you take away from Jesus and you make him small. False gospels, false teaching. It's like pouring poison on flourishing trees. And Satan loves it, but ultimately it gives birth to despair. It gives birth to self-reliance rather than empty hands open and asking to be filled with the supernatural grace and mercy and freedom, the gospel, the inheritance of our loving God and Father. And so remember what Jesus says to you. He's talking to you today. The Lord is speaking to you. Through Paul in verse 3. Hear these words. Grace and peace to you 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the voice of Jesus to you. Martin Luther said at the beginning of his commentary on Galatians that the power of Jesus and his good news of salvation is so great that it overthrows Satan and by it Satan's kingdom is cast down. That is the kingdom of sin, that is the kingdom of the flesh, that is the kingdom of the you-can-do-it gospel is thrown down. In other words, this word of the gospel that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, from the power of sin in the flesh, this gospel is God's power to overcome every false gospel. Every false gospel, no matter what form it takes, no matter whether it breaks into ancient churches in Galatia or whether it breaks into the Cairns Lutheran parish, heaven forbid, no matter what age group you roll with, no matter where your life is this morning. The true gospel, the gospel of grace and peace in Jesus Christ is God's power to save your life. And so as we close, we take note today of an absolutely captain obvious fact that we often overlook when it comes to the New Testament, especially Paul's letters. Who are they written to? Who are those letters written to from Paul? They're written to churches. Notice Paul often begins with grace and peace to you. To you. Because the gospel isn't just for everyone else out there. I mean, it is for them. It is for them. And we go as ambassadors of Jesus and we take that message. But it's also for you to hear over and over and over again. Because the Lord wants you to hear that you are his son or his daughter by grace. And because without any striving on your part, he chose you and he adopted you into his family. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And that's why it's by grace. And he wants you to know his peace, that you would rest in Jesus Christ, that you would rest in the knowledge that everything has been done so that you can approach your heavenly father with all the boldness of a dearly and beloved child. You have his attention. You have his ear. You have his favor. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. False gospels, remember, want to pull up your roots and tear you away from that. They want to break you off from that. And the power of the true gospel holds you fast to the truth so that you're no longer slaves to that false gospel, but you're free and liberated children with a father who looks at you and smiles. That's what I pronounce at the blessing at the end of the service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you because he's pleased with you. You have his ear. You have his attention. You are his child. And for this, God gets all the glory. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and keep them safe in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.